0: Hey, 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 welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio, a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. This is episode 25. Why can't I convince you that what you believe is silly and what I believe is righteous, or vice versa? On this show, we look at where these beliefs come from. We look at identity, and we catch up with Pam and Diane, who are working together, along with the Austin Committee and the rest of the board of WAFTIAC. wonder how many years that acronym will last. We borrow from a couple of wise psychotherapists, Mel Schwartz and Charlotte Castle. And as always, we'll be inviting you to weigh in on today's discussion. So, let's do it. Because... Identity politics has such a bearing on me and my relationship with recovery. I assume that identity and identity politics has the same importance in your life. All of us, positively and negatively, are impacted not only by how we feel about ourselves, but the reaction we get from speaking freely when we have the courage to tell the world who we really are. Being an alcoholic or an addict comes with identity issues, and with it, everything from pride to shame. And our recovery culture is a culture of subcultures, the moderation management followers, the abstinence-based models of recovery. These are two subcultures. Inside the abstinence-based model, there's the 12-steppers, other mutual aid organizations, the DIYs, the do-it-yourselfers, We're all more than recovering addicts too and so our identity is more than just being an alcoholic. At the time of recording episode 25 of Rebellion Dogs Radio, it's July 2016. And in Toronto, the month of July kicks off with uh, pride, gay pride, LGBTQ community pride. We'll look at lessons learned from the LGBTQ community, by Women in Recovery, the growing secular movement inside AA Feminism in Recovery, and we'll look at the origins of our identity, the worldview that inform our individual beliefs. According to some psychotherapists, we give meaning to our thoughts, sensations, and feelings based on those worldviews. We'll talk to Diane P. from Toronto and Pam W. of Los Angeles about planning the upcoming Austin Conference for Secular AA, happening November 11th to 13th. If you're new here, welcome. The International Conference is called WAFTIAC, We, Agnostics, Atheists, Freethinkers, International Alcoholics Anonymous Conference. Pamela worked on the committee for the first ever international in Santa Monica in 2014. Diane was elected to chair the board that oversees uh, this gathering. Pam and Diane will get us up to speed on how Austin 2016, its programming and such, are coming along. If you're going, it'll be great if you're on the fence about coming or not coming, it'll be great too. Before Austin in November, I am going to be in Minneapolis October 7th through the 11th. That's for the NADAC annual conference, NAADAC. It's an international organization of addiction treatment professionals. No, I don't identify as an addiction professional, but I am going uh, to co-moderate a workshop on identity politics. John McAndrew will be joining me. He actually is a treatment professional and we met at the 2014 NADAC conference in Anaheim. I attended there to uh, introduce the professional community to our book Beyond Belief, Agnostic Musings for 12-Step Life. And I had with me some other uh, secular books about recovery. The Little Book, for instance. Roger's book. If you're a regular to the show, uh, John McAndrew was our guest on Episode 3. He was talking about grief and trauma. Last year, John and I hosted a retreat in Sedona, Arizona, called An Atheist and a Theologian Go on a 12-Step Call Together. Well, that's about identity. Coming to AA from a natural versus a supernatural worldview will inform your belief about addiction recovery and the 12-step model. Well, John and I are talking to professionals about these identity issues with professionals who counsel, to use NADAC's language counsel those who suffer from process and substance use disorders. Labels have a bearing on identity and how we identify as individuals and as a community. They change for the better uh, to fight stigma, break down the barriers to recovery and help foster an accurate and positive self-image when it comes to our affliction or afflictions. With your permission, I'm going to practice some of my NADAC presentation with you today. Specifically, I'll be mulling over how hardwired we are when it comes to core beliefs, how these beliefs inform our language about addiction and recovery. What beliefs can we, or should we, influence the newcomer to recovery to change? Is it easier to adapt the 12-step model to each addict or newcomer Or, ought the addict be challenged to abandon old beliefs in order to embrace recovery? Or, another way to put it, what's more adaptable, the model or the afflicted? So we're going to touch on how likely people are to change and how flexible our model of recovery might be. We'll visit some wisdom from an oldie but goldie book, Many Paths, One Journey, by psychotherapist Charlotte Castle and see how a feminist perspective of the 12 steps address these issues. But first let's go to the news peg that kicks off this month, the celebration of Pride in Toronto. This year Lisa and I marched with friends in the Trans March on Friday, July 1st. Sunday was the main Pride parade and uh, here's how it was reported on the news. Canada's largest Pride parade marked another milestone Sunday as a sitting Prime Minister marched for the first time in a colorful celebration that was tempered by last month's shooting massacre in Orlando, Florida. A river of multicolored floats and marchers came to a halt on Young Street and stood in silence, along with masses of onlookers to remember the shootings, 49 victims, predominantly LGBTQ members. Trudeau said the Florida tragedy is a reminder that we can't let hate go by. We have to speak up any time there is intolerance or discrimination. He said this at the kickoff to the 36th annual uh, Pride Parade. Other politicians who marched in the parade included Ontario Premier Kathleen Wind. Toronto Mayor John Tory, a Green Party leader, and a conservative uh, federal leader were there as well. Tory, Toronto's mayor, said the Orlando mass shooting showed that we've got things to do to promote tolerance and inclusion. Andrew Solomon, I've quoted him before, he's a New York Times writer and author of Far From the Tree, Parents, Children, and the Search for Identity. He says there's always someone to take our humanity away and always someone to restore it. Oppression breeds the power to oppose it. Identity politics always work on two fronts. First, it gives pride to someone who has given characteristics. And secondly, it causes the outside world to treat such people more gently, more kindly. When it comes to identity and the politics of fostering an inclusive society in Canada and other liberal progressive jurisdictions, we see both our most conservative leaders, like John Tory, Toronto's mayor, and our most liberal ones, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, agree we have to speak up any time there is intolerance or discrimination. Trudeau said that and Tory agreed, noting that We've got things to do to promote tolerance and inclusion. Hate crimes remind us that not everyone is all about equality, respect and inclusiveness. But in a civilized, pluralist society, inclusivity is a belief or value that most of us express most of the time. While Toronto Intergroup still hasn't relented from defending its right to discriminate against AA non-believers, and AA World Services feels that turning a blind eye to discrimination is good stewardship, the rest of AA is getting ready for atheist agnostics pride in Austin, Texas. So why don't I invite you to listen to my conversation with Diane P from WAFTIAC, she's the board chair, and Pam W, advisory to the board. The discussion was held with Diane and me in her office and Pam W calling in from LA uh, and conferencing in on the phone. After this, we'll talk about how one psychotherapist, Mel Schwartz, explains that what we believe is not easy to change. Deep below our beliefs, our worldviews make it very difficult for you and I to convince each other that the other's beliefs are all wrong, but first, On the Road to South by Southwest, which I borrow from Austin's March Music Festival. Uh, We'll call it Sobriety by Southwest. So anyway, here we go. Listen up.
1: This is Pam W., and
0: I'm an advisor to the
1: WAFT-IAC board. And this is Diane P., chair of WAFT-IAC, and you're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio.
0: So I'm going to start with you, Pam. Three people... Uh, put on the first ever international conference for agnostics and atheists and AA, which is quite an accomplishment. And then the second one, you, there's more structure and then everyone in our community feels like an advisory to the committee, you know, this should happen or that should happen. I was joking to Diane earlier that even in a secular meeting it's amazing how much we can find to disagree about. So what are you seeing in differences in terms of aiming towards Austin compared to the first ever Santa Monica conference?
2: Wow, there's more people involved in the decision making and um, you would think that maybe that would move more smoothly because we were actually, even though we were doing the work, the three of us, We were taking input from people. Mm -hmm. We were talking to people. We were listening. And so some of the disagreements, we had to kind of just make our own decisions and run with it, even though we knew there were people who didn't like this or didn't like that. Um, So there's a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it does seem to be more ownership, if you will. And I think people feel like They have something to say, and they have some power to um, address what they feel is important. I always felt, after the first one, that it was really in the hands of the fellowship. Yeah. But it wasn't something we could control anymore, and I liked that. I thought, you know what, there have been a lot of changes I wouldn't, I didn't necessarily want, but it's been really lovely to be able to take my A.A., um, training if you will and go, just let it go it's, it's, it's good it's fine it's, it's in the fellowship's hands and, and to be really comfortable with that there's a personal journey there for me too to be able to just watch something evolve and just to have like I don't know, made a baby and said here here you go, you guys are <laughs> easy <Yeah. And it's laughs>
0: exactly Okay. this yeah. is life there's no uh, owner's manual Good luck
2: <laughs> maybe on the first one, there might have been some feeling at the end like well, we want it, we would like this to change and we'd like to that I mean a very very clear example was at our business meeting at Santa Monica was the addition of atheist in the name, yeah, because there was there was a definite feeling among some people that they weren't being included. We didn't feel that way but It was a word that wasn't there, and some people felt like that wasn't um, representative of them. And it was never intended to exclude, but my observation is that um, there's a lot more um, vocality, if you will, and input and addressing the things that maybe individuals felt should have occurred with the first one, but they didn't feel like they had a voice as I felt pass it on to the to the fellowship but once that first one came around I I looked to Dorothy and I said the fellowship's got
0: it now yeah yeah, that, yeah. that's a great feeling isn't it and that's it was part, lovely that's part of identity politics too I mean what was the gay movement was the gay and lesbian movement and now and now is the LGBTQ movement I mean it keeps becoming a longer and longer acronym. (laughs) And uh, we'll probably uh, find that we go through phases too. And AA was born in riots. Smooth sailing is just how the historians tell it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Rewritten history.
0: Uh, Diane, how do you find this different than uh, running a home group?
1: I find that People are on the board, they have an agenda, they have some, either a speaker they want, a certain, uh, the the atheist represented or the gay group represented, whereas at a a home group, we're all just there pretty much for the 12-step service to to maintain sobriety and to help the newcomer who comes through the doors. And there doesn't seem to be much of a agenda. My home group is small enough that the business meetings go fairly smoothly and we only have about four a year, whereas we're meeting every two weeks now as the board and we've gotten through the roughest of it but as far as uh, speakers keynote speakers panels what how many of them what room size <laughs> because everybody wants to get as many people listening to their important panels as possible mm-hmm. it, a lot of personalities as soon as there's an agenda or a passion that somebody has that's where the the, the wheels on the <laughs> wagon slow down
0: And how does the program look right now? What can people look forward to when they get to Austin? When do things start on Friday, and how long do they run till Sunday?
1: So, as far as memory serves, on Friday registration will start around ten thirty, and the actual opening will be at one p.m. So right after lunch at one p.m., and it goes through quite late into the evening, I believe. I don't remember what Friday is. It ends at. 3.30 3.30 or 4 p.m. on Sunday. Saturday there will be... Uh, we lose the main big conference room uh, by 3.30 or 4, but then there's going to be the general business meeting for all members, not an executive meeting, but a, for every all of us, and there'll be some issues to be talked about and voted upon, and so that'll be on Saturday around 4.30, I think it is.
0: And then what about things like... Uh, getting around Austin or, you know, like social type things, Mm -hmm. is there anything added? Some conferences have dances and some have outings or something like that. That's
1: right. I I know there's going to be Nick, the host city chair, he's going to have some options for us because uh, there's a lot to see and do and good music in Austin. And I believe there's going to be a Saturday uh, casual supper before that that it will be not as necessarily a seated supper but a meal about because it was decided that we didn't want a formal catered supper but it it might be provided cook, cooked for us but not where we have to sit eight at a ta- round table around yeah. table like at a wedding yeah so keeping it casual
0: and uh, for people who have never been to uh, a waftiac before where is the best place to go to get information and to get answers to questions like you know, how far is the airport from the hotel and all that sort of stuff?
1: The best place to start is waaftiac.org, so W-A-A-F-T-I-A-A-C.org. And that's where you can buy tickets, uh, r- room reservations, there's about 60 left maybe. And there's information. I don't know if I, ex- I think transportation might be up there. That might be still coming from Nick. And a lot of questions are there. And there's also an information button where you can click on it and submit any questions you have, and they are sent to the group, and we take turns responding to them.
0: Pam, this is the first time you get to go on the road uh, to go to uh, the We Agnostics International.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it beyond. I've just, in fact, I have a person, personally an annual event that I usually participate in here locally. And I just sent an email out saying, I'm so sorry, I won't be there. I'm gonna be in Austin. So I'm, I'm really quite excited. I've never been to Austin. And I don't have to be responsible for everything. I get to go and Enjoy as a just as somebody who's there, you know. I don't have to make sure that there's food, that there's sodas in the concession area or this
1: sound guy showed up or any of that. So uh, I'm very yeah, I that's up to that. me, Pam. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, I mean. Who knows? Maybe I'll get
3: pulled in to help me. Oh, we'll We'll find you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but there was (laughs) the whole kitchen going on the whole time in uh, Santa Monica and managing the smoking laws around uh, the street there. And there was uh, the taco night. That was awesome. That was fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting hungry.
1: Fish tacos. (laughs)
0: And, yeah, uh, I ended up so, taking a lot of that bulb and freezing it. Uh, <laughs> any wild guesses at attendance? Do we know exact numbers for pre-registrations already?
1: I think it's at about 80, if I remember correctly. That's what
0: I
2: saw in the last email. And I'll tell you that that's more than we had at yeah. that time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think I think I estimated... If I did a mathematical projection, I'd say we're somewhere between, and and I'm no mathematician, so nobody hold me to this, Mm -hmm. but I would say we're somewhere between 25 and 38% more people if we stay on the track we're on. Uh,
0: And I wouldn't be surprised if it doubles. I mean, it'd be fine if there was just 100, but there could be... 400 or 500. I, I mean, look at it this way. How many more agnostic meetings are there because of Santa Monica? Uh, John S., of course, said, you know, he came there, it changed his life. He went and started a meeting and there are X number of meetings now in Kansas City. There are, I think, six people from the Hamilton, Ontario, Canada meeting that are going. And there was no Hamilton, Ontario, Canada meeting, you know, when we did Santa Monica. So it could balloon out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it'd be a good problem to have.
2: Yeah, quality problem, right?
0: If people want a room in the hotel that the conference is in, they should really think about booking uh, now, not at the end of October, right?
1: Exactly. As I said, I think it was 66 was the last count and 150. So I know it's only around half, but those have been trickling in two, three a week, and as it gets closer, people will start uh, clamoring. And most people are going for three nights, arrive Thursday night, so that you're ready to go Friday, and then maybe leaving Sunday night.
0: Yeah, what I did was I registered way back when, and then I just bought my plane tickets recently, because I thought, well, am I going to come in like friday evening mm-hmm. or but now i'm coming in thursday evening and flying home monday morning right? yeah so, i think that's
1: what i'll be doing
0: yeah the facebook group is a good place if people have questions about mm-hmm. uh, uh i don't want to stay at the hotel i want to be somewhere else or is there billeting or any of those sort of local things uh with the uh a WAFT Facebook group be a good place to go just to connect with people?
1: I would say for sure because there's only Nick who lives in Austin and then his committee. The rest of us would just be doing the same thing googling it for somebody else to try to figure out a a place or if you want to maybe find a roommate who will share a place Facebook would be it. We, we don't have the resources or the time to kind of get a matching program going. Mm-hmm. Maybe in two years time we will have that yeah. kind of thing. But for now, we, uh, there has to be, we have to s- at some point say we can't do it all. You'll have to t- look after yourself. So yes, Facebook.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I, I just want to say thanks for... I know what kind of work is involved. I've run uh, annual or, you know, uh, biannual conferences before and uh i'm involved in the toronto bid and i hope i hope we lose because i <laughs> love traveling <laughs> we do i hope we lose uh, yeah, um, but if we if we win uh, that'll be okay too right yes but when you win it's over right you know if we lose we're bidding in two years <laughs> <laughs> you know so sometimes i want you that's better. I want you guys
2: to win. <laughs> I want to come up. I want to come
0: up there. Well, we Excellent. can't wait to have you in Toronto, uh, and when it, whenever it happens there. But but it'd be great to go to Chicago or New York mm-hmm. or Florida or uh, you know anywhere. You know, yeah. uh, it'd be great to, great. to go to England or yeah France or yeah that'd be all right too. Uh, we're dreaming now, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, anything yeah. else uh, people but, but, should be thinking about?
2: I just want to remind people that if um, we have the marathon meeting yeah. in Santa Monica, and um, I've gotten a few re- responses from some of the people who hosted in Santa Monica, but there's a lot of new meetings. So if anyone listening is um, interested in they're hosting their own meeting, bringing their format, and, and sharing their meeting with, with those who are coming from abroad or in other parts of the of their nation, and, you know, Canada, and Mexico, or wherever else, if they'd like to sit in on those meetings to, to please um, reach out to the board, or they can reach out to me. Oh, God, what's the email, Diane, now that I've said that? I think, um,
1: I think it is org. So, um, yeah, let us
2: know, and, and I'll... Put you into the um, schedule because um, we're working on that in the in the background to try to get that polished up and and can, and panels. If you're interested in doing your panel, if there's some issue, I think we still have a I think we still have space, right?
0: Yeah, I, uh, uh, I I'm sort of I'm running a panel called uh, Living Cyber, sort of a look at uh, online recovery, and I'm involving. Chris from Recovery Revolution, they do the Since uh, Right Now uh, podcast, Uh, they're from Missouri. So this will be his first wafty act and uh, getting him involved. And and yeah, to anyone listening, get involved, no matter how extroverted or introverted you are, force yourself out of your comfort zone and uh, chair a meeting or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's a great way to get to meet people.
1: We also need more people for workshops, so if you have something that you're a bit passionate about, uh, speaking the 50-minute sessions and your the format is all up to you, if you want to make it a discussion group, go ahead, or if you want to do more of a lecture and this is what you've been through, or this is what you've experienced, or here's your favourite book and why, whatever you want, The I just thought of those things off the top of my head. And for instance, the workshop I'll be doing is uh, the paradoxes or. The paradoxes in AA are teetering between the paradoxes in AA.
0: <laughs> that's deep. <coughs> um, I hope that's not on at the same time as my workshop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so do I. Yeah. So those marathon meetings we need help with. You know, a bunch
0: of different cities from around the world ran their meetings the way they run them at home, mm-hmm. right? Just and it really gave a flavor of uh, you know the different ways to run. A, sort of secular AA meeting and mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun.
1: And I think we're trying to, I think there's going to be at least one Al-Anon uh, either workshop and or meeting and I know right there's on. a few couples who have emailed and said that they're bringing their spouse and uh, I've encouraged some to either participate, some said no we're, we're too new right now and that's okay but it's all open, all sessions are open Yeah, they're all everyone. open
0: meetings, that's important for everyone to know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, everyone listening, keep these two busy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's good for their
0: recovery.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Joe.
0: Yeah, Pam, it's going to be great to see you again. It won't be that long from now. No,
1: it's happening. Uh, going
2: to go by quickly.
0: Yeah, it, it, is. it sure will. Yeah. The summer is going to fly by. Okay, love and kisses, California. We'll see you soon.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: See you. Bye, Pam.
0: Bye. So, are you going? If you're not sure, visit www.waftiac.org, W a a f t i a a c. c.org. We'll have links at rebelliondogspublishing.com. Uh there's a contact us page. If you're feeling lucky, click the don't click here button. <laughs> Trust me, uh you'll find links Uh, On that page to the Facebook group and recordings from the first biennial conference in 2014, including yours truly. There was a six and a half minute, uh, very rare, Joe C. Brevity talk. (laughs) And there's keynote addresses from uh, Maria H., author of Waiting, A Nonbeliever's Higher Power, GSO uh, general manager at the time, Phyllis H., Chair of the General Service Board Emeritus, Reverend Ward Ewing, and dozens of other panels and talks from humanists, free thinkers, all around the world. Now, people who are drawn to secular AA have a particular belief. People who prefer a secular view of AA have a natural worldview. Uh, nature has laws, and we're all influenced by these laws of nature. There is no prayer-answering, sobriety-granting deity available to someone with a natural world view. Even some who believe that there is a creator deity, some of these faithful don't believe in an intervening God that takes interest in our choices on a day-to-day basis. Beliefs about how the universe or recovery work are informed by each of our worldview or core beliefs. When the book Alcoholics Anonymous was written, there was a predominant core belief, a worldview in the self-help world as it pertained to Alkies, And that worldview was a supernatural worldview. The book was written from an American point of view. 95% of Americans at the time believed in a Judeo-Christian moral-minded higher power. People of other supernatural worldviews were less than one half of 1% in the United States. People with no faith at all in Yahweh were only 5% or less of Americans when Alcoholics Anonymous, the book, was written. Sobriety could be possible for anyone who held this widely held belief. And if you didn't hold that worldview, don't be so stubborn, just change. That was an easily defended position in 1939. Now, in America, those who believe in a higher power um, don't all call that deity him or God. Uh, There are four times as many people without a supernatural worldview. And outside of America, in other developed countries, a natural worldview is even more prevalent. Our core belief or schemas are change resistant. If you have uh, ever been to cognitive behavioral therapy or any half-decent addiction treatment, you'll learn about automatic thinking and how we react or overreact. We are motivated to change in some cases and encouraged to change in other cases. Either way, change is hard. Why? Well, according to some, like psychotherapist Mel Schwartz, there's a view that the model of how we tick is a three-layer pyramid. The base of the foundation would be our worldview. Above that is our belief system, or our values. So our worldview informs our belief system. And above that, at the peak, would be our thoughts and feelings, the decisions we make. This relationship is in place with everything from experiencing the unexpected broken shoelace when we're late for work to facing trauma, abuse, health, financial or relationship problems. Our core belief, worldview, schemas come with biases and prejudice, what CBT practitioners call automatic thoughts or automatic feelings. So Schwartz is a psychotherapist and lecturer who sees it as a flawed or faded effort to help people when we ask them how they feel and how they're thinking. We might go so far as to inquire what their beliefs or values are, but how many professional counselors start to explore their patient's worldview. Ladies and gentlemen, Mel Schwartz. Here's the model
4: of the mind that I'm working from. Now, most people work with change based upon the top of the triangle. We're told to change our thoughts, change our feelings, change our life experience. Sometimes, somebody might inquire as to what are your beliefs? Which are informing those experiences. But it would be very rare indeed to have somebody ask you, what's your worldview?" What is a worldview? Many years ago, we used the word paradigm, which has now been replaced by the word worldview. A worldview essentially is, how do we see reality? What is that reality informing us? Now, my belief is that worldview is at the core of how we experience life, and the worldview filters up and informs our belief system. And our belief system, of course, informs our thoughts, our feelings, and our life experience. I'll describe a couple of worldviews so we can get a feel for that for those of you who aren't familiar with the term. Before the age of reason, logic, and enlightenment, the prevailing worldview was a very magical, mystical worldview full of superstition in which everything was connected with everything else, and there was a lot of magic, and there were gods all over the place. That worldview prevailed and existed for quite some time, until the age of reason, and in particular, the work of the great scientist, Sir Isaac Newton. Now, Newton gave us a worldview which was rather like a machine. It was called the mechanistic worldview. Let's talk about Newton's worldview, which although 17th century science still informs most of us today. Newton's worldview is that the universe is comprised of separate things and objects. It's a world of things. And they're separate from one another. And only cause and effect or force between them impacts one another. That's a worldview known as determinism, which is rooted in predictability. And it's deterministic. It has a great impact in our lives. We live in that worldview of certainty and determinism. People who struggle with control issues, with anxiety are very much impacted by that worldview. Why? Well, one, we need to know what's going to happen in the future. And ironically, when we need to know what's going to happen in the future, we're not actually present. We're not actually here. Um, anxiety is about the relentless, inexorable tendency to fragment, to divide up, to analyze and to judge. Which is rooted in Newton's worldview because the more you can analyze in that worldview, the more you can predict future events. The problem with Newton's worldview is one, it leaves us as a cog in a machine. No meaning, no purpose. Essentially, that's what existential struggle and despair is. How good could life be if we're a cog in a machine and all the universe is a machine? rooted in predictability and in
0: Schwartz talked about a couple of different worldviews, a supernatural view and a natural worldview, or a material or scientific worldview. He's not saying one is better and the other is silly exactly. What he's saying is that there are a number of reasons someone might hold one's view versus another, but to change a worldview while possible is no easy task. So we've looked at some cues from the LGBTQ pride community. We've breezed over one model that suggests change is best accompanied uh, by something other than a one-size-fits-all model. Uh, when AA was founded, it was born into a patriarchal worldview. AA's book was written to help the privileged members of society, male, heterosexual, American, Caucasian alcoholics who held a supernatural world view, but it was intended to meet the needs of all of them. Let's look at the identity issues and politics of women in AA from a feminist point of view. The 1990s was rich with new literature. Dr. Martha Cleveland and Arliss G. wrote the Alternative Twelve Steps, A Secular Guide to Recovery, published by HCI Books. Philip Z. wrote A Skeptic's Guide to the Twelve Steps under Hazelden Publishing. And Charlotte Castle in 1992 gave us Many Roads, One Journey, Moving Beyond the Twelve Steps. What makes this era so ripe for liberal writing about AA? Well, let's look back to the mid-80s. Bob P., wore many hats in the service of AA, including being the general manager from 1974 to 1984. Bob passed away in 2008. In his final speech to the General Service Conference in 1986, he had these remarks to share with us. If you were to ask me what is the greatest danger facing AA today, I would have to answer the growing rigidity the increased demands for absolute answers to nitpicking questions, pressure for GSO to enforce our traditions, screening alcoholics at closed meetings, prohibiting non-conference approved literature, i.e. banning books, laying more and more rules on groups and members. And in this trend towards rigidity, we are drifting farther and farther away from our co-founders. Bill in particular must be spinning in his grave for he was perhaps the most permissive person I ever met. One of his favorite sayings, every group has the right to be wrong. He was maddingly tolerant to his critics and he had absolute faith that the faults of AA were self-correcting. Well, as Andrew Solomon said about identity politics, there is always someone there to take your humanity away and always someone to restore it. Oppression breeds the power to oppose it. Well, a growing rigidity in AA is going to create a liberal diverse reaction. So the environment was ripe for some very meaningful books. Charlotte Castle is a psychotherapist speaker and she authored Women, sex, and addiction. Finding joy, Zen in the art of a happier life. A series. If the Buddha married, had children, dot dot dot. Many roads, one journey, which we'll get to. Uh, she has her own customized AA-style steps that uh, are actually called the 16-step program of discovery and empowerment. Let's look at some excerpts from uh, Dr. Castle's book. Uh, This is chapter six of Many Roads, One Journey, an introduction to the 12-step program. Let's remember it was written in the 90s. In Alcoholics Anonymous literature we find two contradictory statements that underlie the frequent double message communicated by 12-step programs. One is humble And suggests that there is choice. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. And the other makes an unconditional assertion. As soon as a man can say that he does believe, or is willing to believe, in a power greater than oneself, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. Unfortunately, the we realize we know only a little has been largely forgotten in recovery circles, while the claim of needing a belief in God has been widely accepted. Another important distinction is to separate the problems that arise from the use of the steps per se and the problems people have in groups because they are imperfect people in patriarchy, sometimes rigid, abusive, or acquiescent. Not all abuse and oppression that happens in groups can be attributed totally to the 12-step format. The sacrosanct nature of the 12-step institution, which echoes patriarchy's self-righteous stance, has often led people to mute their inner wisdom and surrender to external controls, such as group rules which are counter to the goal of empowerment. On page uh, 141 uh, Castle illustrates the original six steps which are very similar to the Oxford group. So in her book the version is one complete deflation, two dependence and guidance from a higher power, three moral inventory, four confession, five, restitution, six, continued work with other alcoholics. As these steps were an oral tradition, one alki talking to another, they were liberally interpreted, and even the same author from time to time, depending on their mood or the prospect they were working with, might alter them. Bill himself had a handwritten version that he showed Ed Dowling that can be viewed in AA's archives in New York City. This 1953 variation goes like this. So the order of the six are different. 1. Admit hopelessness. 2. Got honest with self. 3. Got honest with another. 4. Made amends. 5. Helped others without demand. And 6. Prayed to God as we understood him with a small h. So if the steps were to be obeyed exactly as written ever I don't know when that was. While they're the same very unoriginal ideas, you might be persuaded to find God in step 2 or 6 depending on your sponsor and their best recollection. In many roads a one journey, castle continues Bill Wilson formulated the current 12 steps from 1938 to 39, several years after meeting Dr. Bob Smith, who joined him in working towards the creation of anonymous support meetings. The steps in their format for a meeting are included in Alcoholics Anonymous, which is generally referred to as the Big Book. A fundamental question arises at this point. Is a spiritual path as suggested in 12-step programs necessary for someone who wants to cease their addiction to substance or behavior? The answer is not necessarily. Atheists, agnostic, and lots of other people stop their addiction or their use of alcohol and drugs without even attending 12-step support groups. Put in its simplest form, sobriety is sobriety. And a spiritual journey is a spiritual journey. Many people who become sober decide to embark on a healing journey, but it's not necessarily the criteria for sobriety. Many people start attending meetings in order to maintain sobriety, but stay for spiritual growth. What I see happening is that people stay in 12-step groups for years, not so much because their sobriety would be threatened if they stopped going, but because they value the bonds with others, which for men in particular, are not readily accessible elsewhere." Hmm. Uh, You know, I never tire uh, from hearing uh, Ward Ewing say, experience trumps explanation. And that's a slogan which rings true when I hear Charlotte Castle saying, What she's saying. While people attribute their sobriety to God or the steps or going to meetings, correlation does not prove causality. While there are some enthusiastic 12 steppers who see one as clearly causing the other, maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. What Castle has to say about men resonates with me. Uh, Finding sports and business colleagues in the boys' club is easy, uh, but sharing on an intimate level as we do in AA meetings, I, I don't find that often, be it in the business or even in the arts community. Now, Castle on page 146, she continues, again from a 1990s perspective, but for myself as a woman, it's only a tiny piece of the picture it's important to apologize when I've hurt someone. But as a woman my eyes have to be trained to stay focused on my faults and feel guilty for being successful, assertive, passionate and alive. The focus on my attention needs to be gaining support to accept my power and wisdom, to take action, to feel alive. Self-blame comes all too easily. The 12 steps is a religious program. She says, in a major mixed message, Alcoholics Anonymous asserts that the program is not religious, while the language is but one step away from fundamentalist Christianity. AA uses the words wrongs, defects of characters, and shortcomings instead of sins. It suggests a fearless moral inventory rather than confession. Instead of proselytizing, Alcoholics Anonymous refers to carrying the message. The chapter in Alcoholics Anonymous, entitled We Agnostics, affirms that AA believes that only a spiritual experience will conquer alcoholism. In Step 3, where people are told to turn their will and their lives over to the care of God, when I say to people in the program, that sounds religious to me. They respond, oh, anything will do for a higher power, a doorknob, a tree, or car. That answer seems to trivialize the notion of a greater or higher power. She makes a comment on the danger of making promises. The program makes promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. These promises are beautiful, and it's important to instill hope in helping people. Yet blanket promises such as these can also be seductive for someone who wants magical formulas for perfect cures. About an all-powerful male God, Bill Wilson was on the right track for people with inflated egos in stressing that there was a power greater than the person's own ego. People who are used to controlling others have great difficulty thinking they can't control alcohol. But Bill Wilson made the leap from needing to tame the inflated ego to surrendering to an external all-powerful male God. I believe the unnecessary leap reflects the fact that Bill was culturally influenced with a predominantly Christian male Oxford group. And his own conversion experience. The only model he knew for deflating the ego came through the Christian model of confession and humility. A difficulty with the notion of a higher power is that it implies a sky god that makes people lower. It creates duality, the god out there and up there as separate from self, We need a balance between self-examination and accepting life's imperfections. She talks about the cult of conference-approved literature, sponsors and labels. Many paths, one journey is more complementary than critical when it comes to the 12 traditions. There's great wisdom in many of these traditions that go against aspects of hierarchy and patriarchy, for example, the belief that the common welfare of the group comes before individual personalities is something terribly missing in our culture at the present time, where the privilege of the few increasingly takes precedence over the safety and well-being of the majority. Yet there is a catch. Because women are so used to sacrificing their individual needs for the needs of men, a woman who is abused in a group, may follow her female conditioning and interpreting the traditions to mean she shouldn't complain. The group is more important than she is. Of tradition too, Castle writes, our leaders are but trusted servants, they don't govern, is part of a positive, non-egocentric belief that we are all working together, no one is the boss. We all serve each other. This implies equality, a step towards empowerment for everyone. Isn't that interesting? What Castle says about social and economic disparity long before there was the 1%, 99% language. What did you like about what she had to say? Or do you disagree? We want to hear from you. Check out amelschwartz.com for more of his videos, his blogs, and his services. Charlotte. K-A-S-L dot com for links to her books and videos. And both of them are on social media. Of course, make sure you're on the waftiac.org newsletter uh, to keep up to date. Uh, After our uh, meeting on Thursday, Beyond Belief Agnostics and Freethinkers group in Toronto, a few of us went out to see a band called Moulettes and I'm going to share something from their new record, RebellionDogsPublishing.com, for links to this band, guests, and notes. Until next time, we'll see you online. Ladies and gentlemen, from the UK, Moulettes.